Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. What CJ did for us was basically show us the mission of God through his son. And now what I want to do is build on that, and the order is important. Having accomplished his mission through his son, there's now a mission to the nations. Last fall, I did something that I'd never done before, but I felt led to do, and that was in a number of chapel services, I took a biblical text and I wed it to the life of a great missionary. And we looked at uh, the Great Commission and the life of William Carey. We looked at Romans 8, 28 through 39, the life of Adoniram Judson and the three Mrs. Judsons. We then looked at Philippians 1, 21, my life first for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we looked at the martyred missionary Bill Wallace who had those words inscribed on his tomb by those who loved him following his martyrdom. And then we looked at uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, as lived out in the life of a woman by the name of Lottie Moon. Tonight what I want to do is wed one of the great missionary psalms, Psalm 96, to the life of a man that many of you would know his name, the man Jim Elliott. His life, of course, was made famous in recent days by the movie The End of the Spear. And also his wife, Elizabeth, in the book The Shadow of the Almighty and Through the Gates of Splendor, also gave us insight into this marvelous missionary. And so from Psalm 96, we want to address the subject tonight. Let all the nations give God glory, a passion on display in the life and the martyrdom of missionary Jim Elliott. Hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples, for the Lord is great. And greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the earth. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. 
I believe a true and genuine movement of our great God will cause the church to do three things. Number one, it will cause the church to look up and catch a vision of his greatness. Secondly, it will cause us to look in and see our own desperate situation apart from his grace. But thirdly, it will cause us to also look out and to look out and see the lostness of the nations cut off from his goodness. I believe such a vision engulfed the life and the heart of the man by the name of Jim Elliott, who would passionately seek to extend the glory of God among the nations, only to see his earthly life and those of his four companions cut off quickly and far too soon through martyrdom. Indeed, he, along with four others, would go to the Aka Indians in Ecuador, and there he would be martyred at the age of 29, the same age as the man who inspired him, as well as William Carey, and as well as Adoniram Judson, as well as Lottie Moon, the missionary during the Great Awakening known by the name of David Brainerd. If you are a student of history and a student of great revivals, you go back and see how often great missionaries will in some way trace the influence of David Brainerd as having an impact on their lives as they considered God's calling to be a missionary. But I would submit to you tonight that not the life of David Brainerd, not the life of Jim Elliott, not the life of his four companions was a loss. But on the contrary, more of the nations were added to give God glory because of their radical, faithful devotion. Indeed, the Lord who is great and greatly to be praised is praised by more people tonight because of men like Jim Elliott. I thank James Boyce, who for years, Jim Boyce, as he was known by his friends, pastor in Philadelphia at the 10th Street Presbyterian, I think he grasped clearly what Psalm 96 is all about. He said, it is a joyful hymn to the God of Israel as king. And it is an invitation to the nations of the world to join Israel in praising him and It is also a prophecy of a future day when God will judge the entire world in righteousness. It is this kind of theology that I believe drove Jim Elliott to give his life as a missionary that inspired him to pray, Oh, that God would make us dangerous. What a great prayer. Would it be that you and I tonight would say, Dear God, By your grace and for your glory, make me dangerous. Dangerous to hell. Dangerous to Satan. Dangerous to the demons. Dangerous to the false idols of this world that rob you of your glory. You see, it's this kind of theology that will not allow you to be satisfied with a shallow, impotent, useless, and comfortable Christianity. No, it will require more. It will demand more. So what I want us to do tonight is walk through this psalm. We'll do so in four major movements. And along the way, we will ask for Jim Elliott through his journal, through his letters, and through his life to come along and help us see how he indeed lived out Psalm 96 for the glory of God. Note with me, first of all, that in the first three verses, the Bible says, God desires that the nations 
praise Him. God is identified as the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, 11 times in this psalm. And here we see that all of the earth is invited to praise Him. And three aspects of this praise is specified in the first three verses. Number one, we should sing a new song. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Three times in the form of an imperative, we are called to sing to the Lord. The text says we're to sing a new song. In one sense, it looks back, looking back to the exodus and the grand deliverance of the children of Israel at that event, but also it looks forward. And it looks forward to the greatest act of salvation that is ever discovered, that is ever experienced, that being the salvation we find in Jesus Christ. It's not surprising then that you find the new song cited in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and verse 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. This is the new song of salvation that the psalmist says is to be sung by all the nations. We should sing a new song, but also we should proclaim His salvation. Verse 2, sings the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day Today, you see the three imperatives sing are now paralleled by three additional imperatives in verse 2 and in verse 3. See them, the word bless, the word proclaim, and the word declare. In other words, singing to the Lord, we bless His name, we honor His name, we give glory to His name, and we do this as the text says, we proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. In other words... The idea is something like this. Not a day goes by, not a moment passes that our hearts and minds and mouths are not occupied with the wonder of His salvation. Yes, we sing the new song of salvation and we proclaim His salvation. But then thirdly, we should also declare His glory. You see, the new song of verse 1 and the good news of salvation of the Lord demands a universal, worldwide declaration. So the text says in verse 3, declare His glory where? Among the nations. His wonders among all the people. I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in his uh, book, The Message. He says, shout the news of his victory from sea to sea. Take the news of his glory to the lost, news of his wonders to one and all. It was this passion that gripped the heart of Philip James Jim Elliott. He was born in 1926 in Portland, Oregon, and he was blessed with a father who was an uneducated, itinerant evangelist. He was uneducated, and yet Fred Elliott's love and devotion to Christ would significantly shape the life of his own son. In fact, in a letter that he wrote to his future wife, Elizabeth, whom he always fondly called Betty, he said this, quote, Betty, I blush to think of things I have said, as if I knew something about what Scripture teaches. I know nothing. 
My father's religion is of a sort which I have seen nowhere else. His theology is wholly undeveloped, but so real and practical a thing that it shatters every system of doctrine I have seen. He cannot define theism, but he knows God. Let that sink in, seminary college students. He might not be able to define theism, but my daddy knew God. We've had some happy times together, and I cannot estimate what enrichment a few months working with him might do for me practically and spiritually. Later in his journal, he would write of his father, When I think of how far he has gone into the secret riches of the Father's purpose in Christ, I am shamed to silence. O Lord, let me learn tenderness and silence in my spirit. Fruits of thy knowledge burn, burden, and break me. Now listen to me, young people. This was not written by a 50-year-old man. He was not even 40 or 30. He died at 29. He was writing these words when he was 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22 years of age. It, it humbles me. It embarrasses me that I look at my own life and I think, I don't know God like this man did. And he was just a, a teenager. Just a young adult, and yet he understood what it meant to walk and know God. Jim's home was often visited by missionaries. He trusted Christ at about the age of eight. And as a teenager, as a teenager, like Bill Wallace, he made his commitment to be a missionary. Listen to me. You are never too young to set the course of your life for God. Some of you are waiting, and I ask you tonight, what are you waiting for? He has saved you. As David said, He has called you. Why wait? Why delay? Why put off the decision? I will follow Christ wherever He leads, and even as a teenager, say, Dear God, by Your grace and for Your glory, I too will be a missionary. In fact, it's interesting. He was an athlete, but you know why he played football and later wrestled? He said it would toughen up my body for the rigors of a tough area on the mission field. He enrolled at Wheaton College in 1948. He did join the wrestling team. He began speaking to youth groups. He began journaling in his junior year. And there he met his wife, Betty. But it was in June of 1950 that his passion for the Wadani, the the Aka Indians, began to grip his heart. And he began to think, might God send me to an unreached people group? Might God in particular send me to a Stone Age type unreached people group? A dangerous, vicious, murdering people group that desperately needs to know Christ. In a letter to his parents... August of 1950, while a college student, he said, Surely those who know the great passionate heart of Jehovah must deny their own love to share in the statement of his consider the call from the throne above. Go ye and from round about come over and help us. And even the call from the damned souls below, send Lazarus to my brothers that they may come not to this place. Impelled then by these voices, I dare not stay home while quenches perish. So what if the well-fed church and the home-led needs stirring? 
They have the Scriptures, Moses, and the prophets, and a whole lot more. Their condemnation is written on their bank books and in the dust on their Bible covers. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon. And God has His rightful way of dealing with those who succumb to the spirit of Laodicea. Then he would write again in his journal, Oh, for a faith that seems. Lord God, give me a faith that will take sufficient quiver out of me so that I may sing over the Acus Father. I want to sing. And God desires that the nations praise Him. Secondly, God desires that the nations fear Him. You see, a right theology of God will always lead to a healthy reverence, even fear and awe of Him. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. We will not insult our God as the man upstairs. We will not insult God by calling Him our buddy or our pal. We will not dishonor our Savior by saying, J.C. is my homeboy. He is not your homeboy. He is the Lord God, King of kings of this universe, and you rightly bow before him in his presence. So Jim Elliott understood this, and the psalmist understood this. We have an omnipotent, an omniscient, an omnipresent, sovereign universe, sovereign judge of the universe, who, as verse 13 says, is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. And so the psalmist says, fear him. Why? Two reasons are given. Number one, we should fear Him because He is a great God. Verse 4 and verse 5, For the Lord is great, and He is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. In contrast, the Lord made the heavens, and honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. We should fear Him because He is a great God. The NIV says He is most worthy. Tonight they're scattered all over the world, enslaving millions, yea, billions, and sealing their eternal destiny toward a place called hell. The psalmist says, the Lord is great. They are not. The Lord saves, but they damn The Lord is really something, and they are really nothing. The Lord made everything. They have made nothing. We should fear Him because He is a great God. But secondly, we should also fear Him because He is a glorious God. Four great, marvelous affirmations are made of our great Redeemer and Creator God in verse 6. Honor, number one. Majesty, number two, are before Him. Strength, number three. And beauty, number four, are in His sanctuary. Standing before the great God-like throne room attendants, honor and majesty, strength and beauty bear witness to the greatness and the awesomeness and the wonder of a God who is like no other. I will tell you, this understanding of God gripped Jim Elliot. Because it gripped him, he was compelled, and if you like, impelled to go and take that message around the world. Elizabeth Elliot said of her husband, Jim's aim was to know God. And Jim would write himself, Lord, make my way prosperous, not that I achieve high station, 
but that my life may be an exhibit to the value of knowing God. Jim Elliott saw God for who he is, and a holy reverence and fear attended him while he was at Wheaton College and drove him to take the gospel to the Akas. He would say in his journal, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee, consume my life, my God, for it is thine. Now listen to this. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. And our Lord Jesus did die about the age of 30, as did his faithful servant, Jim Elliot. And yet Jim Elliot was a man who struggled with his uh, passions for the Lord and struggled with his soul. He was a sinner saved by grace like you and like me. And there were times when he had a great passion for the Lord, and there were other times when he felt that he had cooled in his spirit toward Christ. In his journal, while at Wheaton, his first year there, July 15th, how like Orpha I am, prone to kiss, to display full devotion and turn away. How unlike Ruth, cleaving and refusing to part except at death. Eternal lover, make thou thyself inseparable from my unstable soul. Be thou the object bright and fair to fill and satisfy the heart. My hope to meet thee in the air and nevermore from thee to part. A few days later, again in his journal, I sense a great need of my father tonight. Have feelings of what Dr. Jarsman, a philosophy professor, calls the autonomous man in another context. I do not feel needy enough. Sufficiency in myself is a persistent thought. Though I try to judge it, Lord Jesus, tender lover of this brute soul, wilt thou make me weak? I long to understand thy sufficiency and my inadequacy. And how can I sense this except in experience? So, Lord, thou knowest what I am able to bear. Send trouble that I might know peace. Send anxiety that I might know rest in thee. Send hard things that I may learn to rely on thy dissolving them. Strange askings, and I do not know what I speak. But my desire is toward thee. Anything that will intensify and make me tender, Savior, I desire to be like thee, thou knowest. And then again, a few days later, wonderful season of intercession tonight. At thy right hand are pleasures. Prayed a strange prayer today. I coveted with my Father. That he would do either of two things, either glorify himself to the utmost in me or slay me. By his grace, I shall not have his second best. For he heard me, I believe, so that now I have nothing to look forward to but a life of sacrificial sonship. That's how thy Savior was glorified, my soul. Or heaven soon, perhaps tomorrow. What a prospect. And that's how he lived. And that's how he died. November, just about three days later, 1948, Son of Man, I feel it would be best if I should be taken now to thy throne. I dread causing thee shame at thy appearing. And one last statement, Father, take my life. 
Yea, my blood, if thou wilt, and consume it with thine enveloping fire. I would not save it, for it is not mine to save. Have it, Lord, have it all. Pour out my life as an oblation for the world. Blood is only of value as it flows before thine altar. God indeed desires that we fear him. Jim Elliot knew what it meant to rightly fear the Lord. Number three, God desires that the nations worship him. Warren Wiersbe says, praise means looking up, but worship means bowing down. It means to acknowledge and ascribe to God his worth, his value, by humbling ourselves before him and submitting to his will for our lives. Three times in this third stanza we are commanded to give or ascribe glory to God. Look at verse 7. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Here is words, or here are words, that are very similar to what we see back in Psalm 29. It's interesting. In Psalm 29, it is the angels who are called to worship God in this way, but now it is the nations that are called to worship God in this way. First of all, he says, give Him glory, or excuse me, give Him honor. All the nations, it says there, are to come before the Lord and give Him glory and strength, the glory that is due His name. And of course, in my mind, immediately I ran to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, where we informed that the name above every name that has received the glory and honor of God is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the text says we give Him honor, honor that He rightly deserves. And indeed, the text says you demonstrate that you rightly understand this by bringing an offering and coming into His courts again. Paul would teach us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that the offering that we now bring is the offering of our body as a living sacrifice. And so the text says we give Him honor. The text also says that we acknowledge His holiness. Verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and tremble before Him all the earth. Again, I believe Jim Elliott understood what it meant to acknowledge the holiness, the awesomeness, the moral greatness and purity of our God, November the 6th, 1948. We're just a few more days into his journal. Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. September, backing up for a moment, to worship in truth is not sufficient. That is to worship in true form. There must be exercise of the Spirit. The new man must be stirred to action. We must have spiritual worship. Philippians 3, 3, we have mention of emotional worship, rejoicing in soul as well as exercising in spirit. Paul has spoken of rejoicing in the gospel's furtherance and the sending of Epaphroditus. And now he says, finally rejoice in the Lord. Not in fellowship or in privileges, but in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4, then Romans 12, 1 and 2. Give us rational worship involving the presentation of our bodies. Yea, Lord, make me a true worshiper. 
September the 20th, Second Chronicles 20. I cannot explain the yearnings of my heart this morning. Cannot bring myself to study or to pray for any length of time. Oh, what a jumble of cross-currented passions I am. A heart so deceitful it deceives itself. May Christ satisfy my thirst. May the river rock pour out Himself to me in the desert place, this desert place. Nothing satisfies, not nature or fellowship with any, but only, and he says it again, doesn't he? My eternal lover. Ah, how cold my heart is toward him. But our eyes are upon thee. The possibility, and he gets personal here, the possibility of seeing Betty again brings back wistful thoughts. As I noted earlier, Betty is the favorite name that he used for his future wife, Elizabeth, whom he would marry. But then he turns and says, how I hate myself for such weakness. Is not Christ enough, Jim? Now, don't misunderstand. Jim Elliott would marry Elizabeth. They would only be married for less than three years. They would have a baby girl named Valerie. He saw nothing wrong with marriage. And yet, it's amazing to read this man. When he thinks about being drawn to marriage in such a way that it gets in the way of Christ... He found it repulsive. He found it a hindrance. In fact, he told Elizabeth, I love you. I want to marry you. But you're getting in the way of me being a missionary, so I'm not going to marry you. And she still hung around. It's an amazing story. She even went to Ecuador to be a missionary herself. And he said, I'm glad you're down here, but you're getting in the way. And so she left. He, he moved. Leaves her in one village. He goes to another. My point is simply this. He understood what Jesus said when he said, if you love anything more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. In fact, in comparison, you should hate everything else as you love me. And so again, how I hate myself for such weakness. Is not Christ enough, Jim? What needs you more, a woman in his place? Nay, God forbid, I shall have thee, Lord Jesus, Thou didst buy me, now I must buy thee. Thou knowest how reluctant I am to pay, because I do not value thee sufficiently. I am thine at terrible cost to thyself. Now thou must become mine, as thou didst not attend to the price, neither would I. And then in the context of worship, August the 16th, about six years later, Because, O God, from Thee comes all. Because from Thine own mouth has entered us the power to breathe. From Thee the sea of air in which we swim and the unknown nothingness that stays it over us with unseen bonds. Because Thou gavest us from heart of love so tender, mind so wise and hand so strong salvation. Because Thou art beginning, God, I worship Thee. Because Thou art the end of every way. The goal of man, because to thee shall come of every people respect and praise. Their emissaries find thy throne, their destiny, because Ethiopia shall stretch out her hands to thee. Babes, sing thy praise, because thine altar gives to sparrows shelters, sinners peace, and devils fury, because to thee shall all flesh come, because thou art omega praise, because thou sure art set. To justify that son of thine. 
and will in time make known just who he is. And soon will send him back to show himself because the name of Jesus has been laughingly nailed upon a cross and is just now on earth held very lightly. And thou will bring that name to light because, O God of righteousness, thou do right by my Lord Jesus Christ. I worship thee. Jim Elliot understood rightly what it meant to worship such a great God. Finally, God desires that the nations also enjoy him. John Piper loves to say God is most glorified in us. We are are most satisfied in him. In other words, God wants us, he wants the nations to enjoy him. We could spend all night tomorrow and the rest of our lives talking about all the ways and reasons we should enjoy God. But the psalmist just highlights two. One, he says, enjoy him because he is a sovereign king. Just look verses 10 through 12. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. So let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the wood will rejoice before the Lord. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the seas roar. Let the fields be joyful. In antiphonal response, all the trees of the forest will rejoice before Yahweh, before the Lord. But then he also says, secondly, enjoy him because he is a righteous king. This psalm ends on an eschatological note. It is a note of hope for those who love and enjoy this great God but is a note of warning for those who reject his rightful lordship over their lives. Twice he says he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. How? Twofold. One, with his righteousness. And secondly, with his truth. And I am convinced that when the aged apostle John penned the apocalypse, the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, And he came to that glorious 19th chapter, verses 11 through 16. Psalm 96 was ringing in his ears. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Jim Elliot wrote in a letter to his family, Remember you are immortal until your work is done. But don't let the sands of time get into the eyes of your vision to reach those who still sit in darkness. They simply must hear. 
So Jim Elliott and four friends in Ecuador made their way to the Aka Indians. And on January the 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott, along with Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Nate Saint, waited hopefully for another meeting with the Aka Indians, having made contact on a friendly basis several times previously. However, a group of ten Akas attacked the five missionaries and brutally murdered them. By the way, they had guns. They had guns. As Elizabeth Elliot wrote, Jim said, We will not use our guns. We are ready for heaven, and they are not. And therefore, rather than defending themselves, they died the death of the martyr. Jim's mutilated body was found downstream in the river. There was no funeral. There's no tombstone for a memorial. But as you see on the screen on Resurrection Day, the glorified bodies of these champions for Jesus will rise from the dirt of Ecuador. Jim left behind his wife, Elizabeth, a baby girl named Valerie. They'd been married less than three years. On January the 30th, 1956, Life magazine published a 10-page article on the martyrdom of these men entitled, Go Ye and Preach the Gospel. Five devout Americans in remote Ecuador followed this precept and are killed. Our nation was shocked. It made all the newspapers and all of the media outlets. Christians all over the world wept for these five men. But I tell you this, Jim Elliott would have been embarrassed by it all. After all, in a letter to his parents dated June the 23rd, 1947, he wrote this. Missionaries are very human folks, just doing what they are asked. Simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. In a letter to his mother dated August the 16th, 1948, he would write, Oh, what a privilege to be made a minister of the things of the happy God. I only hope that he will let me preach to those who have never heard that name Jesus. What else is worthwhile in this life? I have heard nothing better. Lord, send me. And finally, in his last note to his wife Elizabeth, dated January the 4th and found on the river beach where he died, our hopes are up. But no sign of the neighbors yet. Perhaps today is the day the Akas will be reached. We're going down now. Pistols, gifts, novelties in our pockets. Prayer in our hearts. All for now your lover, Jim. Jim Elliott's journal entry of October the 28th, 1949 is famous. However, if you'll go read his journals, you'll discover that you really miss out on a great blessing if you don't take into consideration the context in which he penned those words. So look with me as I move to close what he said first on October the 27th. Enjoyed much sweetness in the reading of the last months of Brainerd's life. How constant are his thoughts to my own regarding the true and false religions of this late day. 
saw in reading him the value of these notations and was much encouraged to think of a life of godliness in the light of an early death. I have prayed for new men. Fiery, reckless men possessed of uncontrollably youthful passion. These lit by the Spirit of God. I have prayed for new words, explosive, direct, simple words. I have prayed for new miracles. Explaining old miracles will not do. If God is to be known as the God who does wonders in heaven and earth, then God must produce for this generation. Lord, fill preachers and preaching with thy power. How long dare we go on without tears, without moral passions, hatred and love? Not long, I prayed, Lord Jesus, not long. And then he would write, one of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth, Ephesians truth. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And in Time Magazine, Jim Elliott was recorded as saying, Our orders are the gospel to every creature. Because he believed this, I close with this last statement from his journal. Nothing is too good to be, so believe, believe to see. In my own experience, I have found that the most extravagant dreams of boyhood have not surpassed the great experience of being in the will of God. And I believe that nothing could be better. That is not to say that I do not want other things and other ways of living and other places to see. But in my right mind, I know that my hopes and plans for myself could not be any better than he has arranged and fulfilled them. Thus may we all find it and know the truth of the word which says, He will be our guide even unto death. Jim did give up that which he could not keep to gain that which he could not lose. As we close this evening's session, my question is simply this. Will I? Will you? Oh, it is my prayer that God, by His grace and for His glory, will indeed give us more and even raise up from this people tonight more Jim Elliot's. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of Psalm 96, a psalm that rightly exalts your name among the nations. It is a promise, a prophecy, and a challenge. And Lord, how I thank you that in these many months when I have been studying this man, Jim Elliot, I have seen this passion lived out both in life and in death. And, Lord, the rest of the story is there are Aucas today singing to King Jesus. And there are many who have come to faith in Christ through the faithful witness of the wives who remained behind and went to the very people who had taken the lives of their husbands. And so, Lord, their death was not in vain. Their blood was the seed for the church among the Wadani tribe. God, it may be that it is our blood that must be the seed for others to come to Christ. If indeed that is your will, I believe with all of my heart you will give us the strength, the courage, and the faith to trust and to follow. God, the nations need to know 
Use us to get the message to them. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.